You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This is another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 29, The Skeleton, More Than a Structure. So today I wanted to talk about the skeleton because there's a lot more going on than it just providing rigid support for your body. Last week, I covered the fascial system along with some details about the musculature. And so I want to keep kind of drilling our way down, if you will. And I want to talk about bone and its role that it plays with providing way more than just a structural component to your body for things to anchor to. So within the nutrition field, the skeleton is... Man, it's a confusing and still pretty debated system of the body, meaning that there's all this debate on how to keep bones healthy. Is calcium good? Does calcium cause harm? Right? What are the minerals that are needed to build bone and keep them robust? This is a conversation that dates back decades and decades and decades. Osteoporosis is on the rise. Osteopenia is on the rise. Bone disease is on the rise. So clearly there's a lot going on within the skeleton that we're still a bit hazy on. And I want to go through some of these things. And I also want to go through other interactions the skeleton takes part in, such as hormone production which a lot of people don't realize that the skeleton is actually an endocrine organ, meaning it produces hormones and it interacts with other hormones that are coming in from other systems. This is a very, very tightly regulated system of the body and one that deserves very careful nuance. All right, so let's jump into this. The skeleton. Obviously, we know that calcium is good for bones, right? I mean, that's pretty clear at this point. The question is, how good is it actually for bones? Calcium makes up about 98% of the middle of the bone that sets up what's called the bone matrix. So it's this kind of matrix-like structure. It's this kind of lattice-like structure that's porous. And it's, unless you're talking about compact bone, which is dense and thick, it's still porous, but... shafts of bones, such as the the bones of your legs, are more like a honeycomb structure. And it does that because things move in and out of your bone matrix. You need holes in there for things to move in and out, such as red blood cells, for example, that get created inside the bone marrow. If you've ever had bone marrow or cooked marrow from bones, you'll know that it's just a very fatty-like substance. It's almost like butter inside your bones. And that's there all the time. That's red blood cells. It helps oxygenation transport. It helps hormone production. It all, a lot of things are happening within bone. I mean, you have vasculature running within your bones. You have nerves running within your bones. Your skeleton is kind of the anchor point for a lot of metabolic function and physiology that happens within the rest of your body. And when I talk about the bones having a honeycomb-like structure, I mean, some of them are quite hollow. The tibia, for example, which makes up your 
shin bone that you can actually draw blood out of so say you're in a terrible accident and you can't get access to anything but a tibia to draw blood from you can actually take blood right out of your bone it's hollow enough to do that meaning you that's how much blood you have circulating through there now not all bone is that hollow but that gets you an idea of your bones just aren't some solid mass that 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 don't interact with any other structure or any other substance in your body. I personally like to think of the skeleton in basically three subcategories. So you have the structure, you have an endocrine system within it, and you also have an immune system within it. And we'll get kind of further into those last two in a bit. But I want to cover the structure, what makes up the actual structure of bone. You have essentially two things going on that happen in your skeleton that build and break down bone, and it's called osteoclasts and osteoblasts. So the way to remember it is osteoblast builds bone, osteoclasts degrade bone. So these are cells that basically repair and break down bone at the very basic level anyway. That is kind of their generic job that they perform. But like anything in the body, it's way more complicated and way more nuanced than that. So osteoclasts, in addition to breaking down bone or what could be classified as reabsorbing minerals from bone, also emit cytokines, so inflammatory markers, into the bloodstream. They also release stem cells from the bone marrow into the bloodstream. And stem cells are unprogrammed cells. They're brand new cells that can go anywhere, need be, to build that specific tissue. So every cell kind of has a designation, if you will, for a predetermined tissue that it becomes, right? A liver cell won't turn into a heart cell, but stem cells have the ability to go anywhere in the body and to become that specific tissue. And so bones help you do that. They produce stem cells, which is fantastic for any type of damaged tissue. That's why people do stem cell therapy, right? Already, we're into a tiny little cell of the skeleton that's doing multiple jobs in multiple different systems. Osteoblasts sit inside the bone matrix and they start building the bone matrix out of minerals. And when that happens, that matrix will surround those cells and that becomes mature bone and they turn into osteocytes, which are basically just mature cells inside the bone. And so you have this constant kind of reabsorption of minerals, breakdown of minerals, and then hardening of those minerals to constantly be repairing this delicate bone matrix in the middle of these bones. And it also keeps all the other functions regulated and kind of mediated. I mean, if you think about your immune system and the constant demand on your immune system and the skeleton having to support that demand, there's a lot going on internally in the bones, in the structure that needs to be regulated and turned over on a constant basis. Your bones are breaking down and remodeling and mediating everything from hormones to your immune system to your minerality across every single organ, across your blood that's running through your body in circulation. So in keeping with structure, let's talk about bone pathologies or bone disease. Typically, when you hear that, you're, you're typically talking about some type of osteoporosis. So if you break that word down, it just means 
bone holes, essentially. So within your bone matrix, there becomes essentially less of it. So if you think of your bone like a sponge, which it's actually called kind of spongy bone, right? There's holes kind of in a sponge. It's porous. It absorbs things. That's what a sponge does, right? Your bones do the same thing. You don't want gaping holes in a sponge because then it'll be able to, it won't be able to absorb as much material, in this case, minerals, right? And so having excess holes in the bone not only weakens them through structure, but it also causes them not to be able to absorb minerals and nutrients and produce nutrients such as hormones and deal with your immune system at an effective level, right? So osteoporosis is a lot more than just losing structure, losing bone density. You're losing proper functioning of your immune system and of your endocrine system and of the musculature, which we will get into a little bit later on. So pathologies of the skeleton pose a very, very great risk. And you can understand why recommendations to keep the skeleton strong and robust is very important and why it's so hotly debated. If you take a very reductionist approach to nutrition and apply it to the skeleton, of course you would recommend calcium because that's what makes up your primary mineral of your bone matrix. It's like 98% of it. But if you look at it practically and you look at it through populations, calcium supplementation, it turns out, doesn't actually help bone rigidity and it doesn't actually help the degradation of bone. Not very well anyway. It obviously, if you don't, if you're chronically lacking calcium in your diet, then it will have an effect on it. But it's not the number one thing you should be going to, to mitigate the degradation of bone and to stave off osteoporosis or osteopenia or even rheumatism. So rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis. And the main argument is that nearly everybody isn't meeting the RDA for calcium. So the recommended daily allowance for calcium. But what's interesting is that RDA keeps getting increased more and more every single year for calcium. So what we've done is basically, you know, in the last 30 years, almost triple our calcium intake for what is considered healthy. But it hasn't made a difference because you're still getting bone disease, right? You're still seeing bone disease pop up more and more and more. So more and more calcium clearly isn't helping. And so just saying you need more of something when it's not actually helping it doesn't work all that well, clearly, not in the case of a skeleton. So let's dive into what can be done and kind of what is going on here. Let's look at some of those misconceptions. So this idea of calcium really was pushed by the dairy industry for people to drink a lot of milk. And which, what's really interesting about the dairy industry is through pasteurization, through especially ultra-pasteurization, of milk, of dairy products, you degrade all of your enzymes and your cofactors for calcium to even get absorbed into the body. And that's why they add calcium, synthetic calcium and synthetic vitamin D back into milk 
because that heating process through ultra pasteurization degrades those properties in the milk. So you have to add it back synthetically. And that synthetic version of the calcium and of the vitamin D is nowhere near what your body utilizes naturally to actually get it and make it bioavailable to your bones to get it into your body. But this idea of calcium and your skeleton needing calcium all the time for really proper, you know, rigidity and strength and bone growth and, you know, grow strong bones, you know, drink milk, right? That idea is completely wrong. If you're drinking raw milk, that's a little bit different because it's not damaged by heat. You're getting a full suite of nutrients that are naturally occurring. Milk has calcium, right? But you need a lot more than calcium to build strong bones. You need all the other minerals as well, all the other 51 minerals. You have high amounts of phosphorus in bone. You have high amounts of zinc and uh, all the other minerals. They're all in there. Small quantities, yes, but you need them all to have things properly functioning on a homeostatic level, okay? You don't absorb calcium without vitamin D. Nearly the entire population is deficient in vitamin D. You know what happens when you don't absorb calcium and it's sitting inside your bloodstream? So your bloodstream requires calcium to operate kind of ion-channeled gates, especially in your kidneys and things like that for diffusion of different nutrients and uptake. Your bloodstream only requires about 1% of calcium. And that's a very, very tightly regulated process. And that's where this idea of weakening bones kind of comes from. Because if your blood supply has to draw some from the bone, then supposedly you're leaching calcium out of the bones and your bones become weak. But that actually doesn't hold up very well. Because there's a constant 1% or so of calcium running through your blood. And that stays very, very stable. And your bloodstream uses calcium from your diet first. It's not like it all gets shuttled into your bone and then it, your bloodstream has to take some back. That's not how it works. It goes into your bloodstream and then the leftover stuff goes into the bone, goes into the skeleton. Without vitamin D, what happens is, well, I mean, a whole laundry list of things. But with the skeleton, what happens is the calcium sits on top of the bone. It doesn't get brought into that bone matrix. And so it calcifies. If you ever noticed people that are taking, especially calcium supplements, if you're supplementing with just straight calcium, sometimes you'll notice people have white specks inside their teeth. These really, really white kind of blotchy areas in, say, their front teeth. If you've ever noticed that, that's calcification that's built up in bone because your teeth are bone. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so if you're seeing that in your teeth, you're going to have that in your other bones as well. There's going to be these pockets of calcification that end up kind of at the surface of your bone. That's why you can see it on people's teeth. It's at the surface. But what those do is those little pockets of calcified bone they become brittle and they break very, very easily. Are you following me on that? So your 
bones can become very brittle if all you're doing is pumping your body full of calcium and you don't have other enzymes and nutrients to drive that calcium in and to utilize it. It sits on the bone rather than being utilized in the bone. It doesn't get taken in. You also need vitamin K2 to do that. That's the things that absorb the minerals into your bone matrix. And that's what your osteoclasts and blasts need to break down and utilize. They need things actually inside the bone matrix. But like I said, you need all the other minerals as well. Phosphorus, zinc, boron, copper, right? All of those things contribute to good bone health. And all of those minerals that consist in your bone matrix interplay with one another. So forcing a single mineral into your bone matrix or attempting to is going to mess up with that very tight, re tightly regulated relationship that these minerals have on one another to actually build robust and rigid structure inside the bone matrix to break down, to remodel. Okay. So again, far more nuanced than just trying to force calcium into bone. You need all of it. Just because there's one mineral that is dominant over the other ones doesn't mean you can just focus on that one mineral. You need everything else because otherwise the balance is way off and essentially you form calcification on your bone. And that's a great way to start fracturing bones and moving beyond the structure. It's a great way to start disrupting the endocrine response and your immune response because those minerals comprise the foundations for those other two systems. And if so if you start messing with concentrations of minerals inside the bone, then other things are going to be compromised. Other systems, tightly regulated systems will be compromised. So to kind of wrap up with structure, get good minerality. Sea salt, fantastic for getting minerals into your body. True sea salt, not iodized table salt, actual sea salt. They even make seawater mineral supplement that contains in trace minerals basically everything you need which it's great to add into water but you could add a little pinch of sea salt to your water as well you need good minerality a little pinch of sea salt isn't going to cause hypertension or cause high blood pressure you need minerality i can't really say that enough you need more minerality than you're probably getting especially with soils being so deficient in the way that we farm in our practices for farming. We are eating food that is very deficient in a lot of minerals. And so you need to get it from other sources. And seawater is probably the best source at this point. And there are certain foods, obviously, you can get good minerality from still. Seafood, for example, seaweeds. So there are food sources still that have high minerality, but you need it daily. It supports not only bone health, but metabolism, the way nutrients break down. It supports the microbiome. It supports cellular redox pathways, all of that. So obviously great in many different areas of nutrition and of health, but in particular, bone health. Minerality is crucial. All right, I want to move on to the endocrine response that the skeleton is associated with. And I want to talk about one hormone in particular called osteocalcin. Now, this is a hormone that was discovered a little while ago, but currently more research 
has shed light on some things that they weren't really aware it was associated with, such as male fertility, adipose, so fat. It's also involved in glucose metabolism, and it loops in with the pancreas, which is really, really interesting, and I'll explain more about that later on. And it also has a role in cognition. So there's a lot of things going on that are kind of bound to this one hormone, osteocalcin, that's produced by your bones. And then obviously it deals with synthesis of minerals that get incorporated into your bones. So let's take some of these things one by one and we'll look at them. So male fertility. So when talking about male fertility, we're often talking about the hormone testosterone because with low testosterone, male fertility suffers, right? Sperm count drastically drops. If men become estrogen dominant, then you're dealing with a whole onslaught of fertility issues. Contrary to popular belief, building muscle mass isn't necessarily the main driver to boost testosterone. I mean, how many times have you heard that in your life? The more muscle mass you have, more the more testosterone, right? It's a very, very common held belief, which is kind of partly true, but it's not the whole story. The missing link to this is this hormone produced by your skeleton called osteocalcin. See, when you get osteoblasts building bone in your skeleton, they release this hormone. Now, this hormone mediates testosterone through your testicles, okay? And it essentially, it's one of your primary main drivers to build testosterone in your body. So before, when people said, you know, working out, building muscle mass increases testosterone, this is the actual mechanism of how testosterone actually increases. It's through bone growth. Because when you work out with weights, when you work out with resistance training, your bones get stronger, which is probably the best way to actually achieve good bone health, by the way. So when you work out, yes, you build muscle mass, but you also build bone, right? Your body lays down more bone. And it's this process that enhances your testosterone, not only intramuscularly, but inside the bone through this hormone mechanism. That's how your muscles can take up extra testosterone. It's not that muscle mass builds testosterone. It's the fact that this hormone released by your skeleton upon impact and building actually drive testosterone into your body, into your tissues, and more importantly, for male fertility, into the testes. See, that's the difference between men and women here, is women don't have this response as profoundly as men do, because it doesn't act the same in the ovaries as it does in the testicles, okay? So if women are super worried about getting really bulky and having excess testosterone because they're lifting weights, it's just not true. And if you want to follow this mechanism for your logic, then this is the mechanism to follow, okay? This is a male-driven physiology that, for whatever reason, whether it's through, you know, millions of years of evolution and men, you know, tending towards physicality, this is probably the case. Because for whatever reason, it is predominantly, predominantly achieved in the testicles. And it's through this mechanism of building structure, of building your skeleton, assuming that your nutrition is good and you have good minerality to actually build proper bone. And that's where things can fall off the rails a little bit, because if your diet is void of proper minerality, 
then you're not going to be able to lay down as much bone in an effective manner. And you'll get a kind of a retarded osteocalcin response. It'll be delayed. And that starts messing with testosterone levels for males. And it ultimately can really end up impacting fertility. So for men, if you have low testosterone and you want to build that up, A, make sure you're getting good minerality in your diet so you have reserves for your bones to build upon, and B, get physical. Do some weight-bearing exercises. Do some loaded work because it will increase your testosterone, and it does it through this mechanism. And then if you want to enhance your testosterone that you're building, take pine pollen. I mean, that's the best testosterone kind of enhancer, natural enhancer that you could be taking. So, I mean, that's three great ways to ensure that you're getting this good hormone response that every man should be getting. Okay, so let's now talk about fat. Specifically, white adipose tissue is what this osteocalcin plays on. And it does this through two other systems. So it does this through your liver and it does this through your muscle. And what it ultimately does is it increases insulin sensitivity. And then it's also associated with the pancreas, obviously, as well, because your pancreas is what's actually producing insulin. But with this hormone, it regulates this whole process, this whole glucose metabolism pathway. And it interacts with the pancreas, with your muscles, with your fat to uptake the glucose and to increase insulin sensitivity to those tissues. And if you're really to kind of extrapolate upon that and take that a bit further, really it's diabetes mitigation. It's type 2 diabetes mitigation. I mean, that's essentially you're dealing with insulin production issues and tissues becoming so insensitive to insulin that they don't really respond and your pancreas st stops producing insulin. I mean, that's what happens. It's not like you just wake up one day and your insulin production just halts in your pancreas for no reason. It does that because these tissues can't uptake necessary insulin. So if you're dealing, again, with insulin insensitivity, then having good bone minerality and good hormone secretion within your bones is going to be vital if you want to regulate glucose metabolism and potentially your type 2 diabetes. So as with any hormone, it's really dependent on the tissue that it interacts with to evoke a certain response. So osteocalcin in the testes boosts testosterone. Okay, Osteocalcin in the pancreas regulates your glucose metabolism and insulin production through the musculature, the liver, and the, the fat tissue, right? So like any hormone, it's dependent on what tissue it goes to. But in order to have a good regulated hormonal response, your bone tissue needs to be healthy. Your bone tissue needs to be regulated and healthy. So it can emit a proper amount of hormone to those site-specific tissues. Otherwise, your endocrine system is disrupted, and that poses a very big problem. And if you're really curious, the underlying mechanism for this hormone secretion has to do with phosphorylation. So phosphorus and the mechanism that turns phosphorus into a binding group, just like methylation, phosphorylation will bind to histone proteins into your DNA to either wind up or uncouple DNA so it can be then read and transcribed. So that all has to do with your epigenetics in your genome, okay? So this hormone either gets carboxylated or decarboxylated depending on what mechanism and what tissue it's going to, which is just an addition of a carbon molecule. 
And so this intimately ties in with your epigenome as well, because you're dealing with phosphorus and phosphorylation on a very, very impactful level, on a hormonal level, which downstream, if there's any issues, it can be a major problem. Okay, and the last thing on the endocrine response due to bone health is cognition and the stress response in particular. So this osteocalcin hormone, it goes to your adrenals and your kidneys, and it can evoke an adrenal response or a fight-or-flight response. So there was a study done where all they did was inject some mice with this hormone, and the adrenals immediately went into a stress response, a a flight-or-fight response, due to this very narrow, specific hormone. You know, you typically think of adrenaline doing that, right, from your adrenals. But this hormone can do that too. It interacts with adrenaline and norepinephrine, and that's where the cognition piece comes in. Because if the skeleton is weak and you're not producing an ample amount of this hormone due to a lack of minerality, essentially, then that fight or flight response, that adrenal mechanism and norepinephrine mechanism that kind of focuses you in times of a bit of distress won't be there. And it won't be as intense. It'll be a bit mismanaged. If you've ever broken a bone, you may understand what I'm talking about. You feel uh, just pretty run down. A lot of times you feel you can get some kind of depression associated with that. Things feel kind of fuzzy and foggy. That's that kind of norepinephrine cycle being a bit mismanaged because your bone is having to repair and your body's using a ton of energy to try to deal with that bone repair. And that hormone production is going to be temporarily compromised. I mean, there's other mechanisms that obviously make that up, like adrenaline, right? But if you've ever broken a bone and wondered, man, why did I feel like just kind of crap? Why did I feel so foggy? That's why. I mean, because this specific hormone interacts with your adrenals. So it's hitting major, major organ systems and driving very important responses out of them, which never before really has this been known. I mean, this is a very, very important hormone to keep in mind in regards to bone health because it's driving a million different responses in your body. Okay, so let's jump into immunity now. Now, I don't know if many people think about their skeleton driving their innate immune response, but it absolutely does. So much so that there is a field of medicine called osteoimmunology. And it really, it's a vastly emerging field. It's becoming more and more kind of complex and more and more broad because they're realizing that there is a ton to be learned about your bone health and your immune system. Specifically, blood cell production, how it relates to your stomach and your microbiome, and also how it relates to your joints through rheumatism. So things like rheumatoid arthritis. I want to start off by talking about the difference between innate immunity and adaptive immunity. And to do that, we have to talk about kind of cell lines that are derived from bone tissue called B cells or monocytes that turn into macrophages, right? And they basically eat up foreign invaders. They attack foreign invaders, right? And these things are derived from bone marrow. 
It's not just red blood cells that are derived from bone marrow. These immune system cells are also made in the bone marrow. That's where they mature. And so things like lymphoma is a B cell issue. You have an overgrowth of B cells and you get bone cancer, right? That's kind of the most extreme form of bone pathology is bone cancers. So innate immunity is immunity that isn't learned by your cells. So it's this kind of fast, hard-hitting immunity that will attack any type of foreign invader, viruses, bacteria, fungal infections, whatever it is, it'll go in and just start going to work on getting this out of your body. Whereas adaptive immunity, it's a slow learned behavior of the specific pathogen. So adaptive immunity is very slow, but also very precise because it learns key things about whatever foreign invasion is going, whatever sickness is going on in your body whether it's a virus or bacteria, whatever it is, it'll learn very specific attributes for those cells it needs to get rid of, and it will get rid of them. So these B cells are what provide your innate immunity. They're what make up your innate immune system. So if you have bone pathologies, then that system is going to be compromised. That B cell line will be compromised, unfortunately. And then it opens your body up to a whole onslaught of potential disease through very kind of benign, what could be benign invaders in your body. So with something like rheumatoid arthritis, that's actually an autoimmune disease. Your body starts attacking your joints. That's a, honestly, it's a B cell issue. It's an immune system issue. And if you've ever seen scans of somebody with osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, it's not that the bones are disfigured anyway. It's that they're calcified, and the joints get calcified, and things start shifting out of place, right? And they get stiff, and things don't move well. Well, that's an immune system issue, and it's a blood issue stemming from these B cells made in the bone marrow. And that's why those arthritis medications have such drastic side effects. I mean, they're really worried about blood pathologies and stuff because you inhibit the immune response when you put somebody on something like rheumatoid arthritis medication. It works. I mean, it, well, it helps sometimes, you know, the pain, the joint discomfort, but it also compromises your immunity. And there can be pretty bad side effects from those types of medications. But really, you're if you go all the way back, you're dealing with bone marrow and a bone matrix issue to where something is going wrong and those cells aren't maturing as they should be in the bone marrow. And you're having an autoimmune response as a result of it. And I'm not going to sit here and claim I have the answer to something like RA or osteoarthritis because I don't. I mean, nutrition can help, right? Again, back to good minerality, a good clean diet, all of that helps, right? Especially bone broths with something like that because you're, you're getting good collagen and elastin properties into your microbiome and into your epigenetics and all that's going to help. All that is going to help drive proper immunity and proper bone health. But things get very, very complicated when you're dealing with these kind of multifaceted, multi-layered systems that all interact with one another. I just wanted to point out that 
your skeleton is much more than your structure. Again, you're dealing with an endocrine response and you're dealing with immunity. And so keeping good nutrition through things like bone broth, vitamin D, vitamin K2, calcium, phosphorus, zinc, boron, copper, magnesium, manganese, selenium. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? But all of that will help keep this delicate balance of bone breaking down and bone rebuilding. This breaking down and remodeling of this internal bone matrix needs to be in constant balance and in constant flux. And if you don't have the adequate nutrition to support that continually, then you're going to end up with pathologies. Again, it is not just about one mineral that's called calcium. It's an important aspect of it, but it's not the whole picture. And if you're just trying to force that into your bone, then things will calcify and you're going to end up with some serious issues somewhere down the line. It could be hormonal. It could be innate immune response derived. It could be both, you know. Um, could be glucose metabolism. Who knows, right? Depends on what else you're doing and what kind of lifestyle you're living. And no one has the answer to those questions. But again, good foundational nutrition that's going to supply proper minerality to your bones so they can perform optimally is going to help mitigate all of this stuff. And there's a laundry list of potential issues that could go wrong if you have weakened, compromised bones and a weakened, compromised skeleton. Okay, I think that's going to about do it for this episode. Again, thanks so much for listening to another one. I will talk to you guys this next week. Stay well, stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. 